exploring what can be done to help with pain and health challenges. This is Life Shouldn't Hurt with Grand Fedoric from Leading Edge Physiotherapy on 630 Ched. Welcome to Life Shouldn't Hurt. Uh, that I'm Grant Fedoric, your host. I get to join you once a week here, sharing amazing stories of amazing things going on in healthcare. And we've had some amazing guests, none more amazing than Dr. Martin Ferguson Pell, who we've got today. Welcome. I, I get to call him Martin, although there was a time when I wasn't allowed to because he had some semblance of control over my destiny in rehab medicine. Yeah, you called me Dean. <laughs> That's true. That's Back true. then. <laughs> yeah, I did, and it was uh, it was very important because uh, you did have some semblance control over my my life. And uh, but today I get to sit in this seat, and I get to ask you, what do you do now? What exactly? Because I, 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 we're working together on things, but I don't actually know what you do. Oh, well, let, let me tell you a little bit about what I get up to. So I have a lot of fun these days because I run a, a lab at the University of Alberta called the Rehabilitation Robotics Lab. And as you can imagine, there is a lot of fun technology that we use in that in that lab to really look at problems that relate to both rehabilitation and orthopedics. That's it. That was that easy. It's well, not quite there, that easy. Are there robots? There are robots, and I'll tell you a little bit more in a few minutes about how we use those robots. But um, maybe I should just tell you about how I fit into this because I'm not a clinician. My background is actually in biomedical engineering, and my first degree was in physics. So what on earth has that got to do with rehabilitation? I would say it's because what we can do is we can bring these newly emerging technologies and bring them to work for people who have mobility problems, you know, pain related to mobility, other functional issues where technology can make things different. We can make them different in a couple of ways. Um, one of them is by using the technology to help that person directly through a device that they might wear or uh, something along those lines. The other part of it is how we can use it to make measurements so that we can undertake assessments of what is happening with somebody so that we can understand more clearly what is going wrong and how we might do something about it. So that's what I get up to. Yeah, I mean, medicine has come so far. And I think that when I think of technology in the world that you do, I think in the, in the realm of speech, because going way back 20 plus years ago, what was new uh, at that time you know, uh, somebody who is having difficulty with communication might have had a board in front of them where they pointed to pictures or to letters in order to communicate. And then it progressed to, to things like pushing a button and being able to say speak. And then as far as Stephen Hawking goes and, and you know, him being able to communicate in a way that would never have, have existed, you know, some 25 years ago. Fast forward to today and uh, we're talking about things like AI and uh, virtual reality and uh, the ability for us to com you know, communicate for professionals, communicate across a huge span of Alberta, for example, but even Canada. Um, so why don't you take us through some of that? Yeah, well, there's one really good example, you know, thinking back to those days when we started to introduce technology into the way people use computers, for example. Can you imagine back when computers first came out and someone who's unable to use their hands, how they were really, in a way, they were facing a major barrier to be able to use an important communication technology and, well, something that we now just take for granted. So what happened was back then a technology called Dragon Dictate was created. 
And Dragon Dictate was very expensive. It was several thousand dollars. And it was basically a license that enabled you to speak into a microphone and turn your speech into text or into a command that would therefore get your computer to reboot or, you know, store a file or whatever it happens to be. So now we think of it coming out of rehab and going into mainstream. And now when you buy a computer, if you want, you can download Dragon Dictate for nothing. Right. And that now has become a tool that we can all use if we want, if we're wanting to do voice to text in order to save ourselves having to just type something into the computer. So that's an example of what I would describe as sort of the reverse direction in which technology has um been related to the area of rehabilitation. The other direction you were alluding to, which is, for example, AI, where AI is a very ubiquitous kind of technology applied to a wide variety of different areas, has really important applications in our area. But we're just one of many. And what we're hoping is that we can take advantage of the large breadth of applications to keep the cost down so that people who do want to use it for rehabilitation or other clinical purposes can do so without it being incredibly expensive. Okay, let's not go all Elon Musk here, but okay. but I, I can't totally get my mind around exactly what role AI plays in a profession like ours or even medicine where it's a hands, you got to get your hands into it. Or, and I know we're talking robots and we're not talking about Da Vinci performing prostate surgery or something. And da Vinci, by the way, for those listening, is a robot that actually is guided by a surgeon who can do very specific, minute surgical procedures on the prostate or things like that. But AI as a concept is machine learning. It's something else doing the thinking in a way. How does that apply to what we're doing, uh, I, I I just can't get my mind around. Oh, I could I could give you one that fits very nicely to the area that you're in, for Please. example, in physical therapy. Okay. Um, so it's an area we call shared decision making. And so if you could imagine, if we could collect a lot of data about people, really rich data that really describes the person, their circumstances, their build, their stage in life, the kind of activities they're interested in and so on and so on, build this picture of this person, but build it in data then what we can do is if that person has a problem, for example, they have a painful knee or they're potentially a candidate for a hip replacement or something like that, then what we can do is use AI to say, well, there are other people like you who had a very similar profile and there are some that did well and some that didn't do so well. Let's look at those people that did well who kind of match up with your profile because we can probably be more sure that if you go down that pathway, you will do better. So what we're doing really is using AI to interrogate large data sets in order to create profiles that enable this then to make good decisions that are informed on a personalized basis. So we don't think often about rehab being personalized. Right. We think about it maybe in terms of fancy drugs. But why not think about it in terms of how we can choose a treatment? Yeah, and I think that uh, resonates with us. I mean, obviously, I think it is very personal, actually. And what respond, what one person's going to respond to uh, sitting with the exact same procedure. So a knee replacement, for instance, two people can have the exact same surgery called a knee replacement. How one responds to that same knee replacement is going to be totally different than how the other person responds. Uh, what what's blowing my mind right now is you're telling me somebody could say, based on all of these other things that you might not even know exist, 
Right. Because could you imagine an assessment? You'd have the number of questions you might have to ask and to get into every last little detail. This is what's going to happen or this is what potentially could go wrong with that. Am I right? That's exactly right. Yeah, that's one good example of it. Let me give you another one. It's called conversational AI. Oh. So we're somewhat familiar with this when we think of, you know, a Siri or Alexa, right? Yeah. What we can do is we can ask Siri or Alexa to do something, play a piece of music or whatever. And that's conversational AI. So what's happening is the, the device is listening to what you're saying and interpreting it and then giving you a response. So the way that really works is it's, it's listening and picking up some keywords and then it links those keywords to a database of responses. And so it says, ah, I heard this word. I think it probably means that they want me to do this. And so it pulls this out of the database and presents that back to you. And so it could be, um, well, how many pounds are there in a kilogram? And so it'll pick up pounds, kilograms, and then it'll go to the database. And the database will say 2.2. And so that's an example of the way conversational AI works. But now think about that in a virtual reality environment. So what we can now do is we can create a scenario, a simulation, if you like, that feels really real when you're inside the VR environment. And so an example, again, in physical therapy is that when we're training physical therapists, they have an exam that I'm, I'm just about to cause you to probably, you know, have the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. You had to do a thing called an OSCE. Right? Love it. Yeah. So an OSCE is basically a, a way that you learn how to interact with patients by um, undertaking an interview. It's a simulated interview of you working with a patient, getting a history, and, and maybe finding out what the next steps for that patient might be. And the way it works is you have this big hall or this big room, and there are stations in this room, and you go from station to station to station to station. And over your shoulder is someone with a clipboard marking you high pressure situation. So what we've been doing in our faculty has been creating a simulation of an OSCE. Okay, hold on, Yeah, hold on. We're gonna come back to some Star Trek kind of stuff here. Right after the break, we'll be right back with Life Shouldn't Hurt on the Chorus Radio Network. Exploring what can be done to help with pain and health challenges. This is Life Shouldn't Hurt with Grand Fedoric from Leading Edge Physiotherapy on 630 Ched. Welcome back to Life Shouldn't Hurt. Now, I am hurting a little bit. You're right. The hairs are standing up on my back because we're talking about the exam days. We're talking about the OSCE. And for those people who want to know what an OSCE is, it's a simulated exam. It's you're walking in there and all the things that you're supposed to know about caring for a, a patient or treating that patient or assessing that patient is going to be tested while you're standing there with a simulated patient and there's people watching you and you get graded and and uh we've got martin ferguson pell from the university of alberta here welcome back uh talking about exactly what that looks like in the ai environment virtual reality environment so pick it up right where you left off grant's nervous i know and i maybe i will help to settle you down a little bit and just wish you were younger in the, <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is that what we're really doing in a way is we're testing how well that person in that exam situation could deal with the stress of the exam not necessarily what they know some people will do better under pressure than others but working with patients in a clinical environment isn't that kind of pressure so what we can do with virtual reality and ai is we can simulate the oski exam so someone can practice it 
in a way that looks very much like the real thing, but actually practice it well in advance of doing the real thing, which they still have to do. The point being that what happens now is you can simulate that whole conversation, the conversation between the student who is practicing for the exam and an avatar that is going to be representing the patient and a third avatar that is going to be the person looking over the shoulder marking you. So this is, in a way, the beginnings of what we're calling the metaverse which you've heard of right. from Facebook and so on. Sure. Uh, and, and it's interesting. It's still going to be simulated at that point because you're in there and you know you're not in a real world environment. But nonetheless, it, it's as close as you can get to not absolutely or not actually duplicating it. Now, let's go. You you, you probably knew I was going to put you on the hot seat mm -hmm. uh, because my my world is one in which unless it's going to make a difference in the world of a patient in front of me, Let's not talk about it. It has to translate from the university in the in the lab to what can I do to make a difference in the, in the life of a patient who's literally sitting right there. Now let's let's talk about those robots. Let's this isn't Terminator kind of robots, right. but but they exist. So let me flip this on you a little bit. I knew you were gonna. Yeah. Okay. They're not going to be sitting in front of you, but they're actually going to be in a beauty parlor in Peace River. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So here we have someone that um, needs a specialist assessment that is not really available to them in their immediate vicinity, you know, within a few hundred kilometers. And so this person has an inequitable access to care. So what we can do is we can put technology into that Peace River location in the beauty parlor, so it doesn't have to be a fancy location. And what it can do is it can be a robot for a, for a starting point, and also it can be a measurement system. So obviously, if someone is five or 600 kilometers away and we have an expert clinician sitting in your clinic in Edmonton, they're not going to be able to make accurate measurements. They're not going to be able to look at the way someone sways, how well balanced they might be. So what we can do is we can put two technologies in that environment. One of them is called a telepresence robot. The purpose of the telepresence robot is to make you, Grant, look as real as possible in that Peace River beauty parlor. Which Can you all imagine that? Yeah, poor people. They have to look at me and they'd probably be rather looking at somebody in the beauty parlor. Okay. Right. So there's the telepresence robot, which is a communication tool that gives the patient and another clinician who is in that beauty parlor in Peace River, the sense of you being in the room with them. And it's uncanny. When you experience it, you really get this sense of this person in a way being with you. And you in your location in Edmonton are able to steer that robot remotely. So you're able to move it around, get closer to the patient, look at them from an angle you want to look at them for. And essentially use that as a communication tool, much better than trying to use a webcam sitting on top of a computer somewhere. Right. And the other part of it is called markerless motion capture. And this is a 3D camera, really inexpensive, that you put on a tripod and you stick it in the room and point it at the patient. What AI does is it looks at that person and it identifies them as a person. And then what it does, it looks at their body and identifies what we call landmarks. So it looks at their, here are their shoulders, here are their knees, here is their head and so on. And then what it can do is calculate things that you're interested in as a clinician. So one of the things you're interested in, Grant, is joint angles, for example, sure. range of motion, things like that. Yeah. And so what this, this technology, which has been developed by a company in medicine had, so it's an Alberta product, 
product called Kinetisense actually is a, enables us to make those measurements remotely. So we've created a system where those inf that information can be measured in Base River, communicated in real time, presented to you here in Edmonton as measurements that make sense to you as a clinician. You don't have to process it. You don't have to get your calculator out. It just presents you with the information you want. This is transformational for people who live in rural communities. And it's happening. It's happening. We have working with Alberta Health Service. We have 14 of these systems out there in communities throughout Alberta beginning to give us that capability. And what areas are they being used in? My experience or what we've been doing in work with you has been around uh, vestibular rehab, but it's being used in other areas. Yep. So vestibular rehab and things that do relate to balance, for example, and dizziness. Yep. Right. Um, another area is people who have um, severe shoulder pain. So either immobile, uh, sort of mobility issues with their shoulder or severe shoulder pain. So it enables us to be able to do an assessment and identify what the cause of that pain might be. And then, then hip and knee assessment for hip and knee osteoarthritis. And the last one, which is in significant demand for Alberta Health Services, is wheelchair and special seating assessment for people, especially in continuing care, who need a wheelchair properly prescribed. And how that one's got, I, I guess I'm, that's not my world. So let me ask a few questions around that. What, what exactly does that look like? Because a seating assessment from my days now, 22 plus years ago, would look around the lines of pressure sores and uh, various weight distribution issues around that seat. Is, is, is it able to pick up on that? Yeah, well, the idea is that it, it functions a bit like what we would call a platform. So okay. it's a communication platform for information that you generate in that remote location. So if you wanted to map the pressure underneath someone, there are tools for doing that. Right. All we do is put that tool underneath the person, plug it into the computer, and send the images down to the person in the other hub location. Um, we'd, we'd been doing long COVID, for example, where we look at breathing patterns. And then um, other areas that, you know, we can look at, for example, um, are around um, uh, back pain, for example, where we might need to apply forces to look at, you know, how resistant someone might be to movement. So we can use a, a, a dynamometer that is able to communicate and send force information back right. to the hub location. A dynamometer for those listening is something that basically can tell you how much force you're putting through it on a person and measured in pounds per square foot or, or per, pounds per square inch, whatever you're measuring. Okay, we, we're going to need to have you back because I've got, there's this, the technology is right down my alley. I love it. Mm. Innovation is, but I know you're going to blow my mind. I got to ask you, what's on the horizon? This is all happening. What you're yeah. describing right now, people might be saying, wow, but what is out there? What's still coming? For me, the exciting opportunity is to combine the two technologies I've been talking about. So take the virtual reality technology and that ability to make measurements in a remote location, say maybe on a reserve for indigenous people or in a very remote part of Alberta for rural communities and be able to send information from that remote location in 3D and present it to the hub clinician in a set of virtual reality goggles so that they feel as though they're in that room. This is Star Trek stuff. It's only a few years away. Oh, really? Yeah. This is just, I mean, the opportunities to bring urban medicine or urban care to anywhere in Canada is kind of 
really you need a connection. You need a connection to the internet, is that right? Yeah, um, you do. You do need um, either a cell connection or you need a, a typical wireless connection, absolutely. And, and when is there going to be a tricorder? Uh, when will we be able to wave a tricorder over anybody uh, and uh, tell them what's wrong with them and fix them with the same little machine? Yeah, we're going to have to put a couple of students on that one to see what we can get. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, we've only got we've got a short little window. We got 40 seconds left. What is it that you want people to know about what you do? Uh, and go. We want to imp provide improved access for Albertans to excellent care. They're spending typically 450 bucks per trip to come in from a rural location to get an expert assessment. We want to change that. And I think you are, and uh, I can't tell you how thankful I am that you joined me today. Uh, uh, thanks for listening to all of you out there listening and learning about your body and things that will be new on the horizon to solve your problems. Thanks for joining me again. We'll see you next week. Life Shouldn't Hurt on the Chorus Radio Network.